This is episode 30 of Trash Talking with Eco Warriors, featuring Elizabeth Fonier, aka the Green Reaper. You're tuning in to Trash Talking with Eco Warriors, where women share inspiring stories about their careers in green business, sustainability, and conservation. Here's your host and founder of Trashy Beauty, Barbara Lee. We don't often talk about death or face our own mortality on a regular basis, let alone think about what's going to happen to our bodies when we do die. But if you stop to think about it, you'd realize that someone is dying on a regular basis and funerals are actually a hugely expensive and not very eco-friendly practice. Of course, we wouldn't be talking about this topic if there wasn't an eco-friendly alternative, which is to be buried in the shroud or other environmentally degradable materials. The first time I had any inkling into thinking about how unenvironmentally friendly burials were was when I read a book called The World Without Us by Alan Weissman. In his book, Weissman takes us through what would happen if all the humans disappeared off the face of the planet tomorrow, and how long it would take for Mother Nature to reclaim back what we've created. In one of the chapters, Weissman specifically addresses how long our dead would take to return to Earth, and the answer is a really long time. So we put our dead through a process that includes embalming fluids and even building concrete walls around burial sites to make sure that the earth doesn't collapse in on the casket and putting people into metal coffins. It's really just not sustainable. I'll link an article in the show notes that talks more about the issue of space and chemicals being used in the funeral industry if you want to dive a bit further. But suffice to say that this is an issue that we need to be thinking about and people are starting to address this. Elizabeth enlightens us on all the different things to take into consideration if you or your loved ones wants to be buried in a green way. She even shares some of her inspirational stories around the different burials that she's participated in. It's really a fascinating topic, and I hope you really enjoyed this deep dive. No pun intended. Let's get trash talking. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to Trash Talking. Oh, wonderful. I love trash talking, especially with you. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So introduce yourself. Tell, tell us a little bit about you and what it is that you do. Probably the main thing you need to know is my name is Elizabeth. Last name is Fournier, and I am passionate about trying to save the planet where we are and hoping to get everybody to see the passion and the excitement of walking a green walk. I'm an undertaker in a town called Boring, Oregon, and yep, that's a real name. Being a small town undertaker is definitely my true calling. I spend my days in a repurposed goat barn out in the country. That's insane. So tell us, what is a green undertaker? I usually spend time with families who want direct cremation. Now, I'm in Oregon, so what happens is 70% of families that come into a funeral home are really looking for a basic cremation. But the other 30% of those families want to have some sort of a burial. They have the choice of having a traditional burial or they can have a green burial. And I am an eco-mortician, a green mortician, so I open up the possibilities to them of having this wonderful blessing, which is called a green burial. So that makes me a green mortician. Cool. And so tell us a little bit more about what is a green burial. I think people are familiar with chemical burials, which include, you know, having someone cremated, coffins, this type of thing. But what makes it what makes it green? What makes it different? Like why is this issue an issue? When you're deciding to do a green burial, you're trying to keep things as natural as possible. And that means whatever materials you're going to be using, you look at using sustainable ones. 
such as if you're going to be choosing a casket, there's plenty of ways you can go with this. You can go with something made of natural wood, which is not put together with lots of lacquer and hardware, nuts and bolts, really more with non-toxic glue and dowels. And yes, these things can be found on the internet or in catalogs, or people can actually make them by hand. People also are looking at things like shrouds, which is material which can come from a fabric store. It's also material that can come from the bed that you sleep on. Or there's also actual made shrouds which have woven handles and straps in them just to sort of mummify the body, if you will, in the natural fabric for burial. And then people are also looking at other crazy fun things for the burial. We have willow leaves and we can use bamboo. We can use banana leaves, all types of things, including cardboard for a real natural burial. So that's one thing that we look at for a green burial. A second option would be keeping the body as natural as possible. And, you know, that's hard. Let's say you've had a hip joint replacement or you have a pacemaker. You've eaten at McDonald's forever. I mean, you're not quite as natural as you should be, but you're not really putting Mm -hmm. in the preservatives from embalming. So that's a big deal. We try to stay away from embalming because once you're buried into the earth, all those chemicals will sort of leach out, get into groundwater, get into soil. And secondly, what we were looking for when we do have a burial is not having you inside a concrete or a polypropylene or a steel grave liner. We just want to go ahead and place you into the earth in your natural container, in your natural body state, right there naturally, and have you touch the earth. Cool. Awesome. Why is this such an important issue for you in particular? Like, why did you decide to try to make this a thing? Years ago, I would say probably about 12 years ago, I had met with a family who wanted to bury their loved one on their private property. And at that point, I didn't really know what to say. I had heard of burials before in a natural casket, in a um, natural grave setting um, with no concrete burial vault. However, I wasn't sure that was something you could do on private land. So I did the appropriate steps of getting a hold of my local county here in Oregon. I ran the situation past them. I ran the county address by them. The county did the checks and balances they need, needed to do. They didn't see any issue with going forward and doing this. And we had such an amazing ceremony. The sons of this person caught fish from the local river right down the street, and we feasted on that fish. We put this woman to rest by the sunset, and I thought to myself, this was so hands-on. This was so amazing. I had never seen something quite like this before, and the beauty of it was so magnified because it was in nature. Everybody had a role, and rather than just drive up to a cemetery with the body that the undertaker gets out of the vehicle while the family sort of stays back, worship person says some words and the body is lowered and everybody walks away. This is people one by one picking up a shovel and putting the earth back, having time to really spend and reflect and really make a day of it. And it touched my soul so greatly, it transformed me. And I knew right then, I need to let families know that we can do this where we live. Yeah, that's amazing. You wrote a book about it so that you can kind of help guide people towards green burials. Yes, I wrote the Green Burial Guidebook, and this is actually coming out here on May 15th. 
of this year. Very thrilled about it. And this book is the nuts and bolts of how to do this. Of course, without the nuts and bolts, because that's not sustainable. But this <laughs> is the hands-on, do-it-yourself, how, what, why, where, all those practicalities of it. Rather than talk about the anthropology of why we should be doing this, of course, you want to save money, you want to save the planet, you want to do the right thing, you want to feel good about yourself, you want to walk a green walk and die a green death and all. This actually tells families how to go about the steps, um, how to find a cemetery, someplace that would allow you to do this, um, who to contact to be able to do this privately. If you just want to keep your loved one at home, the steps you need to take to do that. Talks about how to build things, how to take care of the paperwork you need, and really just gives that hands-on support of how important it is, all of those things. And so I put it in there as a guidebook to really help families do whatever they need. So this is really interesting because I remember it was quite a few years ago that I read about how the funeral industry and burying people into boxes that have been treated with, you know, different chemicals is not very sustainable. So this is something that's actually been like on the forefront of my mind. And I know that there's a lot of rules and regulations and laws around what you are or aren't able to do as someone who lives in a particular city or county. And so how can people find information about like where they live and what particularly affects them? Well, one thing to think of is in all 50 states in America, you can have a green burial. You can have a home funeral. All those things are available to you. However, we need to figure out also if you're having a home funeral, can you fully act as your own licensed person? Can you issue not having a funeral home at all? And there are several states who don't allow you to do that. So what we need to do is check out state mortuary funeral cemetery board websites. Those are the ones that govern funeral homes and cemeteries and make the rules of what needs to happen. So that's a good place to go ahead and look. Also, in this book, it breaks down pretty well which states you need to have the help of a funeral home. Also, it lists deeply all of the cemeteries that are even regular standard cemeteries that will allow a green burial. I don't go into which counties of which states because they're numerous and they change quite mm -hmm. a bit. What I provide as information is if you are looking at even potentially thinking about doing this where you live or where a loved one lives, call your local county health or zoning and planning board, either way, or the health department. It all depends on what the title is, and check in with them. They probably want the parcel number. They probably want the actual address, and they might just ask you some questions. Cool. Awesome. That's great to know. And so go back to, like, you and your background. So you started this career how long ago? 28 years ago, I was in college, and there was an opening to live at a cemetery and be the night keeper. And I had to think about that because when you're 22 years old and you're going to be living in a cemetery as a night keeper and having these hours where you are on call starting at 4.30 p.m. and you're living in your little trailer there on the outskirts of the hill, you can't leave the building or where you are until 8.30 a.m. 
because you're answering the phones all night and taking messages for the funeral directors and you're cleaning the building and you're supposed to be locking the doors and locking the gate and kicking anybody out of the cemetery who's trespassing. You give up your whole summer. So that was my first job and I went ahead and took it because I thought, you know what? This is what I want to do. So I'm going to jump right in and do it. And yeah, scariest summer of my life. And being in this trailer, if you had the light on at all, for some reason, if anybody saw that light, they would feel the need to come over to the trailer and see who's in the cemetery at 3 in the morning with the light on. And there have been many times I'd be sitting watching TV, minding my own business, eating my top ramen or drinking my super big gulp, and I would look over and I would see a little set of eyes peering in the window at me. Yeah, so I don't think they have many wow. living night keepers in cemeteries anymore, but um, I'm glad to say that was my first job and not my last. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. And so what, other than that, because that sounds like really frightening, but what have been some of the other big challenges that you've dealt with throughout your career? I started in the 90s, and I was a very young female, so that was two big strikes against me, not necessarily the 90s, but the culture of the women in the funeral world in the 90s. I was fresh out of college, fresh out of my job being the night keeper, and from there, trying to get a job and work in the Portland area as an apprentice, I think a lot of people looked at me and didn't take me very seriously and thought, hmm, she's got really fluffy, you know, fair faucet hair and she wears her four-inch heels. And how is she going to use the gurney and go to a nursing home dressed like this? Or is she really going to want to put the respirator and mask on herself in the prep room and smear her lip gloss? So I think there was a lot of just in general societal constraints that way. Also, it was mostly men in the funeral industry. So if I came in, they knew it was a woman because when your name is Elizabeth and you have an interview, it's not like it's Pat or it's Chris and they could be hoping for a young man to come in the door. So they were well aware it would be a female, but you really had to work hard to win them over. I found after a while when I was going to interviews, I'd actually borrow a friend's glasses and I borrowed a Mm -hmm. briefcase and then I started wearing navy blue suits and flats just to be taken seriously. And that's what I had to do to get a job. So I would say that's a constraint that I had to really revamp my whole look, which wasn't, I wasn't Dolly Parton. I was just a young, fresh-faced woman, but I really had to really tone it down to be somebody who would be considered for a job in the funeral industry. It's so interesting that this is like the thing that you've chose for your career. What was the whole inspiration around wanting to pursue this type of work? As a young kid, it was just a natural thing. When I was in grade school, I um, all of a sudden became an expert on Catholic funerals, and that's because my family had so many funerals. Within a very short period of time, my mother and my grandparents had both died, and I found myself so often at the same funeral parlor in town, and then we'd go to the same church and do the same ritual, and I found some weird sort of comfort at the funeral home because I just sort of knew I'd be back again, and I also found something about being there I don't know, something tingled in me a little bit, like where it wasn't exciting, but there was, I just sort of had a knowing for some reason. And as I grew up a little bit and spent time and trying to process my grief by playing funeral with my dolls, you know, you'd line up cars, I would have a little cemetery on my headboard 
in my room for my dresser. I just kind of did some of these things that were were very macabre, even though I wasn't really a you know traditional sort of young girl. I didn't really have any sort of a dark personality, but a lot of my life and a lot of what I knew was sitting at a hospital waiting for somebody to die, going through all the steps of the funerary and then the grief after and people seeking me out that were at that point in their life, people who had grandma dying, having their hamster dying, having the neighbor down the street dying, who just sort of wanted to all of a sudden sit next to me at lunch, and there they were, and I kind of had a feeling, oh, yeah, they must have lost their cat this morning because they seeked me out there in the cafeteria. So it just became very natural. You know, I became a little bit of a, I guess, sort of a, a sad, lonely girl, too. It became very much what I thought. When I got to drive when I was 16, I would go to people's funerals I didn't even know. And that was before I even knew what Harold and Maude was. That was me just trying to deal with my own grief. That was me just sorting. I don't know. It's funny to look back and think, wow, that was just yeah. sort of interesting that that age at 16, 17, I thought I could work through my grief of dressing up in a black suit and going to somebody's services. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That's a really harrowing experience for you that have gone through at such a young age. Yeah, I, and it wasn't so much, my gosh, who am I to be here, you know, parading around like I knew this person who died when there's some real grief in this room, and I have grief too, but this is their day to have their grief. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a real shame on me moment. Yeah, well, it sounds like you turned, like, all those experiences that you had into something a lot more positive. So what is your one tip for people who want to live a more eco-conscious lifestyle? Because it sounds like you grew up in a pretty eco-conscious town, and that's the kind of life that you live now. I think that you can watch your daily actions. That's a really important thing. I think nowadays we don't really buy food that's on styrofoam plates, and we don't drive our diesel car while we smoke our cigarettes and flick them out the windows. And I think we've, you know, we've stopped a lot of those behaviors. But I guess you can think about when you have your coffee, do you need to have those K-pods or K-cups? Or I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a soda girl. So it probably doesn't make sense. But those little individual coffees, I know they're really easy to use and it's very automatic. But if you think about that, that's individual waste with every time you drink a cup of coffee. Also, if you go through a Starbucks, you're not probably bringing your own mug. You can and you should, but most people get a fresh paper cup every time. So little things like that really add up because you think about the landfills and all of that. Coming into the funerary world, what you can do as a big tip is you can decide to take at least one shade of green in what you're doing. Let's say your family does want to have a traditional burial where there's going to be the metal casket because everybody in the family had the blue metal casket and you're going to go to the church and you're going to use the diesel hearse and you're going to go into the cemetery. Okay, so that's your tradition. That's what you need to get through your process. Fantastic. But what can we do? Maybe rather than cut flowers, we can have potted plants that can be brought home and planted. Maybe we can use succulents that don't really need any sort of water. Maybe we can think about sustainable food. Maybe we can decide not to embalm that loved one. Um, There's just different things we can think of along the way that can really, really help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting because I don't think it's something that we think about every day, but it's definitely happening on a daily basis. And I think the more people who can be aware of the issues and also just the cost that's involved in it, it would be definitely beneficial for the whole planet. 
The reason why green burial is so successful on the West Coast is, firstly, we are very environmental. But secondly, a lot of us really want to save money, and I think that's okay to be economical in your burial, too. The word economical doesn't always equate the word cheap. And just because you want a casket that's not a top-line casket doesn't mean you didn't love your person as much. Tree had to die for your casket, and it had to be lacquered, and now it's probably going to take many, 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 many years to biodegrade You know, for something that's going to be visited at a funeral home for a half an hour and buried. It's probably not the best fiscal choice, and it's probably not the best environmental choice. So there's lots to think about in those realms. Yeah, I always find it really interesting when there's this overlap between saving money and being more ecological, because I think it happens often, and I think we don't realize it because we're just so used to taking convenience. Well, that's where repurposing and upcycling comes in, and I think that's really important, and I think that people who appreciate your podcast really can appreciate the concepts that we can use a lot of materials that we already have for a burial. You don't have to go into a funeral home and you don't have to open up the catalog and say, I'll take one of these and I'll take this and I'll take one of these. Why can't Mm. you provide your own transportation? You have your own automobile. Why do you have to pay for another automobile to make that happen? You can make a shroud out of your favorite comforter. You can make it out of something which is wool or silk or cotton, muslin. There's many materials and fabrics that you can do that with. Why not do that than buy something which is a picture in a catalog rather than go to a store of flowers and go and look at all of these flowers? Is there something in your yard that would be equally as beautiful? So again, there's just Mm. so many things you can do. That's so cool. Yeah, I always have this like really crazy vision and I guess it's kind of like weird to like describe it to someone but like I'd like to be a tree in my next life so I'd like to be like buried and have a tree put over me and I think about how cool that is because it really is just your body nourishing new life. There's a couple ways you can do that so that actually is real. See sort of like I was talking about you want that for your future it's just a figment of your imagination but I think we can turn these figments of our imaginations into reality. It's kind of a fun way to live. You can decide to be (laughs) cremated and then you can have your cremains buried with some sort of a pod And we can go ahead and make sure that you get the correct tree for the correct region where you are, and then the tree can grow. Keep in mind, cremains don't make a tree grow because cremains don't, they have too high of a pH value. Mm -hmm. However, the cremains can be buried lower. We can go ahead and have the root ball in there, but nonetheless, a tree is going to grow, and it's going to grow over you, hence you've become a tree. Same thing with a burial. Every state in America has at least one cemetery where they will allow natural burial, even if it's just a either a regular plain average cemetery which says, yes, this section over there in the corner will do some natural burials, or they'll say, well, every grave in between here, we can go ahead and have a natural burial. Or there's some places that are actually preserves and there's cemeteries where the whole area isn't very developed. It's all of a natural burial landscape. And there are plenty of options that allow you to have a tree, especially if you have the luxury of having private land. You can plant all the trees you want and you can be in a grove. I have a lovely lady who loved the color lavender and she has lilacs, beautiful purple lilacs 
all around her, and that's what, and they're all indigenous to the area. They were actually growing there. She was near them, and a bunch of them have been replanted on top of her, and she is now a lovely lilac patch. I mean, that's just gorgeous. Yeah, that's, I don't know, that's like my dream. <laughs> I don't know if many people think about these things, but that's how I'd like to go. Well, keep a dream alive. And so what's your craziest, I feel like you've told a lot of crazy stories, but what's your craziest, like, nature or sustainability story, like something that you've done in the name of nature or sustainability? Um, I'll answer that two ways. I would say the most interesting would have been Crestone, Colorado. They have the only open-air fire pit in America, and which allows a disposition for a burial. So this is going to be cremation, it's going to be open air, and it's in the town of Crestone, Colorado. When you you put the person into the space, there's monks that chant, um, there's incense burnt. It's a very, very, very high elevation, pretty spectacular. You're in awe. So definitely not on the, the crazy answer, but on the, wow, this is crazy, just because it's surreal in the sense that this is just such an amazing once-in-a-lifetime experience. And these are things they actually allow these to happen about once a month. You have to have a permit, and now they've sort of closed it down, so you need to be a resident of the local area because you could imagine how many people would be on a waiting list to do this. As far as another nature situation, none Mm -hmm. of them really have been super crazy because their families' ideas, they're the figments of their imagination. They plant the seeds and these amazing things happen. We had a local naturopath who passed away a few months ago, and he had this ecopod shipped in from London, and they painted it, and it was yellow, and they painted it like a submarine. They wanted it to be the yellow submarine from the Beatles songs, and he was placed in this, and he was buried in this, which is very close to the edge of the river where his naturopathic farm is because he makes a lot of different herbs and tinctures for medicines. So he was Mm -hmm. buried at the edge, and the thought was when either the world goes to hell or we have an earthquake or something happens, that bluff is going to crumble, and there he goes, and he's going to sail away into the river off into his yellow submarine. And, of course, Yellow Submarine was played during the burial. And another one of those, wow, this man lived his life to the greenest footprint possible. His death was, he laid this out. He came to see me. He had me go to his land to make sure he could do this. He had his wife check around and get the pod and get it painted in non-toxic paint, mind you, and just have Mm -hmm. all of these things lined up. And it was just to see that vision. And I thought, man, I hope he, from wherever he is, is viewing this with a huge smile on his face because he is living his dream in this moment. (laughs) It's just amazing to witness it. That's so cool. That's such a fun Mm -hmm. idea that, you know, you can really take this concept and give it its own life and story. Yeah, your life is now. I think we tend to forget that. We think our life will start when we maybe get married or when we decide to lose those 30 pounds or when we get that job we really want or something. But our life is right here in this moment. And strangely enough, your death could be right here in the very next moment. So possibly thinking about what you would like done with you, which is reasonable, meaning I don't find it reasonable if you decide that you're 
10 sorority sisters are going to get onto a plane and they're going to go to <laughs> Nepal and they're going to climb the highest peak and at the same time while listening to your, you know, your favorite Lady Gaga song, they're going to dump your ashes. I think that's sort of unrealistic and you're putting a lot of pressure on somebody, which isn't really fair. So I think in, you know, this doctor's vision, it was a little bit ostentatious, but it was doable. Right, it was doable, mm-hmm. and he gave. He knew he was passing, and he got his team assembled, and they did it, and everybody felt so complete with it all. Wow, that's amazing! And so, where can people find your book, and how can people get in touch with you if they have more questions or they want to chat more with you about green burials? First off, I love to chat with people. I always appreciate it if somebody gives me a phone call or somebody sends an email more than happy to answer your questions and talk with you. Very happy to be your resource. So the book is called The Green Burial Guidebook. A great place to find me is thegreenreaper.org. And on there, you will find places that you can meet me with a, you know, a book tour or listen to me on the radio. You'll also find out links to go ahead and get the book, which are, you know, most of the standard links are there. You can find me, of course, at the bigger box stores, the Amazons and the Barnes and Noble, but there's some also indie presses as well on there too. Um, I always like to support the indie guys, definitely. And then you can always go into your local bookstore and ask for it. That's always a good way to support that bookstore too. I always appreciate that. Again, I am the um, undertaker at Cornerstone Funeral in Boring, Oregon. So if you happen to be driving by, stop on in and say hi. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this chat and hearing more about this topic. Thank you for even having an interest. It really just warms my little green heart. I love this topic and not from this really morbid sense about thinking about death, but in the sense that we are all part of this cycle of life. And it's fantastic to think about how to become part of nature again once we do pass away. I'm definitely going to come back as a mango tree in my next life. What about you? Check out Elizabeth's work in the Green Burial Guidebook. I'll link it in the show notes, and hopefully you won't need it anytime soon, but for those who are interested in creating a plan for you or a loved one who is passing, and you want to make it both economical and ecological, you can learn everything you need about in Elizabeth's guide. Tune in again next time, eco-warriors. Stay green. Thanks for talking dirty with us. Tune in next week for more trash talking with eco-warriors. For more inspiration, follow us on Instagram at Trashy Beauty Co.